Discover the magic of integrating your financial, legal, and life planning. It's time for Smart Simple Wealth. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Smart Simple Wealth. Walter Storholt here alongside Carrie Qureshi, estate and wealth planning attorney at Qureshi Law Firm, serving you in Arkansas and Texas. You can find Carrie online at QureshiLaw.com. And Carrie, thanks so much for joining us once again on the podcast. Great to talk to you. Yep. Hey, how are you doing today, Walter? Oh, I'm doing pretty well and looking forward to our conversation on today's program. We've got some really good questions that we're going to dive into a little bit later on. Jane in Wynn has a really good question for you. We'll dive into that a little bit later on. We're also going to squeeze in one from Hector in Cabot, who's wondering about Roth IRAs versus traditional IRAs and which one is the better option. So we'll get to their questions and much more coming up on today's program. But our main topic of conversation today that we want to dive right into is to explore the five most common pain points in our financial lives. I think, Carrie, before we dive into the individual points here, I mean, we've pretty much all got something that probably brings us pain in our financial life. Would I be correct in that assumption? Absolutely correct. And, you know, even if you have a lot of money, you know, people always say, well, if I just had enough money, I wouldn't have that pain. And that's not true. There's a lot of other financial pain points, you know, for, for everybody out there. More money, more problems, I think is how the uh, the saying has gone, right? Yeah, <laughs> Good one. There's something behind that, that's for sure. So when it comes to financial planning, we're going to operate with this assumption that everybody's got some kind of pain point, but those pain points just might be different for different people. But we've all got something that bothers us. And so we're going to explore some of these common pain points, see if you identify with any of these, and we're going to offer some solutions and some things to think about on today's show. So first one on the list is often identified by many people as one of their number one fears, if not the number one fear of most people, especially as they kind of get closer and into retirement. And it's this extreme worry about running out of money before dying. Why is that one of the most common pain points? Well, I think it's, like I said, even if you have enough money, you know, you just don't know what the future holds. And so as your life changes, you know, you may need more money. And so there's no guarantees. And so I think, like I said, you know, for everybody, there's just that deep underlying fear of not having enough. So what's the underlying cause here? I mean, what do we do about that particular pain point of worrying about money before dying? What's the remedy there? Well, I think if you're still young, as in not retired, the first thing to do is to get a plan, figure out if you're saving enough. And if you are saving enough, then, you know, you'll have that peace of mind that you're on track. That should make you feel better. But if you're not saving enough, then you'll see exactly how much you need to start saving to get towards your end goal. You'll be able to make those changes. And that's really important for our younger clientele. We always say, you know, start with a plan so you know, you know, where you're going to in the end. Helpful advice always for folks who are kind of on the younger end of the age spectrum. But what about folks who are maybe already retired or nearing that goal? Right. Well, if you're already retired or close to retirement, you probably can't save and put away that much more but you can better manage what you have. And so for those individuals, we have to look at minimizing taxes. And we can talk more about that in a bit, but also minimizing your investment costs. And when I say minimizing your investment costs, I want to point out that the cheapest investment portfolio isn't always the best one, right? But we do want the cheapest investments that are going to get the job done. And I always explain this like buying a car. 
you can buy a car for $500, right? <laughs> My uh, best friend in high school bought a car for like $300 one time, which I thought was pretty impressive. Right. Did it run? Did it, did, it work? It did not. No, it was on cinder blocks. It, it was a parts car. <laughs> right, right. And so we want a car will get us from point A to point B. Okay, so we need one that works. And so the same thing goes for investment portfolios. It doesn't need to be, you know, the sexy or the luxury car so that you can brag to all your friends about it. We just want it to work. And so that's one of the things is making sure that your investments are working, you know, the best that they can for you. But you also want to make sure you're not taking on unnecessary risk in your portfolio because that can also be losing a lot of money for you. The uh, right word here isn't cheap, but rather value. Absolutely. Okay. Well, you opened the door to pain point number two on the list, so we'll just go there now. <laughs> Angst about taxes, a common worry among folks for sure. Absolutely. No one likes to pay more than their fair share of taxes. And I see that there's a lot of advisors out there that aren't doing a good job for their clients in this regard because this is a huge concern. And if it's not a concern right now to you, if you're not anywhere close to retiring, you're young, you're putting away money, you know, just wait until you start taking distributions from your IRA or 401k and you are going to get a really big wake up call. I think a, a really big wake up call is for some people, you know, a good thing. Many people, I think, don't get the wake up call in time. So the fact that some people can become aware before it becomes a major problem is almost a blessing in disguise. Oh, absolutely, because there's planning that we can do to help minimize those taxes if we plan early enough. And one of the biggest issues that I see is retirees that didn't think ahead, didn't have a plan on how to pay these taxes, and they start their retirement. And, for example, they say they, they need to pull out 5000 a month from the retirement accounts. And they say, you know, if I pull out 5 a month, you know, that's perfect. That's enough for my standard of living. But then... When they get their check, it's not five thousand dollars. It's thirty seven hundred or thirty eight hundred because the IRS wanted their share, and so that's a problem. They're either going to have to withdraw more out of their retirement accounts if they can, or they're going to have to learn to live on less. And nobody wants to do that. Yeah, you got to be thinking about your retirement accounts, unless maybe it's a Roth IRA or something like that. But you've got to be thinking of those accounts much like your paycheck. You know, your salary is this, but your paycheck is less, much less in some cases than what your actual salary is. And you're not living off of your salary. You're living off of that end paycheck. And so remember that sometimes when you see that portfolio value, you know, $500,000 or a million dollars isn't really that. That's not what's going to end up in your pocket. And that's sometimes hard to wrap our heads around because we see that value grow and grow and grow over time and we get very excited about it. We don't want to trim, you know, 25 or 33% off of that, you know, value, whatever it may be, because it just, I don't know, it's kind of a depressing thought, Carrie. You know, nobody wants to go there, but we need to, to put together a proper plan. Right. And then you also have this unknown about what taxes will do in the future, because we know what taxes are now, but on the retirement accounts like the IRAs and 401ks, those are all tax deferred. So if Congress changes their minds, if our tax rates change in the future, then that could have an even bigger impact on our retirement than what we think it will right now. Well, on this show, we try to introduce you to the magic of integrating your financial, legal, and 
the last part of that tagline, if you will, life planning. And that's emphasized here in our next pain point among many folks as they prepare for their financial future. Another common pain point is, Carrie, paralyzing fear of ending up in a nursing home and maybe going broke due to rising long-term care expenses. The stats on this can be staggering when you really take sit down and look at it. Absolutely. And this is a growing concern for our baby boomer population. And when I'm having these meetings with my clients, we're just hearing this more and more because they're already seeing their parents affected by nursing home expenses and long-term care expenses. And so it's something that we need to start planning for now because statistically about half of us will wind up in a nursing home or some type of long-term care facility before we die. And that's really scary. Is this a problem that is just, do you see this continuing to grow over time? Oh, absolutely. I've seen it at least double in the years that I've been practicing law. When I first started, it was, you know, basically buy long-term care insurance and that was about it. But, you know, we are living longer and, you know, that's great <laughs> in one aspect, but it's also causing a lot of problems for us in cases like dementia or Alzheimer's to where we do need that type of assisted living. And what's crazy is the cost of long-term care are going up even faster than inflation. Wow. That's never good when you have those kinds of costs on the increase. Yeah, and you, you bring up a good point. Good that we're living a long time. We're living longer than we used to. But if we're living a long time at a reduced quality of life, well, that presents all of these unique challenges. And it can lead to some unfortunate situations if we're not prepared for these things. And do you have any figures on kind of what these costs are expected to look like in the future? Well, it's different for everybody just depending on where they live, but the average cost of nursing home care in the state of Arkansas is over $56,000 a year. And so when we're talking to our clients about planning ahead, we really want to budget somewhere between $4,000 to even $6,000 per month for assisted living. So what are the different ways? I know that we could do a whole podcast probably on just this topic or maybe even an entire series going through all the different ways that you would plan against this. But maybe what's the Reader's Digest version of, of how you can kind of take advantage of, you know, different tools at your disposal to kind of prevent or at least put some backstops in place of that need? Right. Well, the first option is long-term care insurance. And that's usually where we start if we have clients that come in, if they're in good health. And normally we like to buy the long-term care insurance when you're in your 50s. That's usually a good point in your life to get a good rate. But for a lot of our clients, they're coming in, they're older and maybe they do have some underlying health issues. If you have any type of diagnosis or family history, you either one, won't get long-term care coverage, or two, you will, but you'll be rated, it'll be so expensive that it just won't make sense. And so if long-term care insurance is not an option, then we have to look at other legal planning. And so really the next step would be what we call Medicaid planning. And this is something, this is planning done at least five years out because we want to help preserve some of the assets. And so there's things that we can do to preserve your assets, but still qualify you for Medicaid and you still get the long-term care coverage that you need. And then 
Really, the third is what we call Medicaid crisis planning. And anytime you hear the word crisis, it's probably not <laughs> the, the best thing. So obviously, it's not as good as pre-planning. We talked about just a minute ago, but we there are still things that you can do to help preserve some of your assets while getting you approved for Medicaid and getting that care that you need. So a couple of different ways that you can go about tackling that big problem of long-term care expenses expected to rise and rise into the future even faster than inflation. Make sure that your plan is covering all of those different elements. And that's what's so important about integrating not just the financial and legal components, but that life planning as well. Another common pain point, number four out of five on the list. These are the five most common pain points in your financial life. See if you identify with some of these. I'm sure we've all got a few hands raised at this point. Uneasiness, this one isn't as dramatic, but I think maybe more universal. Just a general uneasiness about retiring and walking away from a paycheck. A lot of people draw their identity from their work, and so the idea of walking away from that or just walking away from the stability of the paycheck brings some angst with it. Right, and unless you're running a family business where you know that's going to continue to make money for you even if you're so-called retired, you know, you are walking away from one paycheck. But if you're setting up your investment accounts properly, then you can actually start collecting your paycheck from your 401k and your IRA and your other investment accounts, right? And so if you're invested completely in the market, of course, there's no guarantees on your paycheck. But if you're properly diversified, if you're taking on the right amount of risk, then you should be able to plan for a steady withdrawal amount, even with market fluctuations. Well, I know the market fluctuations stress a lot of people out. We just kind of view the you know, entirety of the stock market and the entirety of our portfolio is this, this one big bouncing ball going up and down, and we're just trying to keep track of it. But I know that you take kind of a different approach to handling that portion of the process by trying to, I guess, sort of, you know, break things out into multiple batches or different types of buckets for this phase so that the ups and downs don't impact us as much. What's the, the 411 on how that kind of works? Right. Well, it's important to look at prepping for retirement in different phases. And so when you're young and you're saving, that's your accumulation phase. We're just trying to put away as much money as possible and let it grow. But when we hit retirement, that is your income distribution phase. And so once we lock down that there is no more, you know, adding to the portfolio and we need to start pulling a paycheck out, we want to manage that money a little differently. And, and, and you kind of talked about it you know, just a minute ago on calling it a bucket or a segmented approach, because if you put all of your money into one portfolio and you're trying to be fairly aggressive, then you're going to get a lot of market volatility. And so, you know, we don't think that that's a great approach for clients that are in retirement. And so we like to look at it as a bucket approach. And by buckets, I mean, we're going to take a portion of the money into a conservative bucket. And that's really your money for the next five years. And so we want that to be very conservative. We don't want a lot of fluctuations because you're going to need that money shortly, right? Mm -hmm. And so the next bucket would be your buckets years five through 10. So you don't need that money right away. You're going to need it in a little bit, but we still want to let it grow. So we invest that in a little bit more aggressive investments. And then you may have your buckets for years 10 to 15 or 10 to 20. And those can be even more aggressive because you don't want to have all of your money 
so aggressive that you have the volatility, but you also don't want to be so conservative that you're not keeping up with inflation and you're not letting your money grow for you. And so by actually breaking this money down into different buckets and different time points, we've really felt like we're doing the best job for our clients and also giving them the peace of mind about knowing, you know, they're going to be able to keep pulling money out of their accounts, even if the markets have a little downturn. Well, speaking of downturns, that would be pain point number five, anxiety about an impending market crash. I'd say a lot of people had this in December of 2018 <laughs> when we saw the market taking a bit of a tumble. And now maybe people have very quickly forgotten about that month as January and February came and went with, you know, upward trends in the market. And now we will just see what the rest of the year, you know, has in store for us at the time of this recording. Things still sort of pointing in that up trajectory, but we'll just have to see how things come. But it sounds like that strategy you're talking about, Carrie, certainly helps with that big fear and anxiety of that impending market crash. Absolutely. And, and anytime you have money invested in the stock market, you are going to have that volatility. And there is no crystal ball. I don't care what financial advisor or stockbroker you work with. Nobody out there is going to be able to predict the market on a long-term basis. And when you look at investor behavior, there are really two main emotions. There's fear and there's greed. And both of those can get you into trouble. People feel pain twice as much as pleasure. And so, you know, any little drop in the portfolio is very painful and hurtful. And so we have to look at the situation and figure out how do we handle that fear. And based on our experience, the best way to handle fear is with knowledge. And so you want to become educated about how the markets work and learn about an active versus passive management approach. For us, you know, our portfolios are based on academic evidence. And so we don't have to have that crystal ball mentality about trying to pick the best stocks or time to market, you know, when to get in and get out. Yeah, always, I think, really helpful when you have that right perspective of how to approach these, you know, financial issues. And sometimes it is analyzing our emotions. And I think people overlook that a ton, Carrie, is realizing how closely tied in math and then something that's like the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you know, our emotions, how often those two things are linked. Oh, absolutely. So anything else we need to know about recovering from that anxiety of an impending market crash? What else should we be thinking about? Well, I think the other points would be, you know, to make sure that you have a diversified portfolio that's mm. designed to withstand that market volatility. Big buzzword um, in the and, financial world, right? Diversity, uh, diversified. Diversified. Yeah. Oh, right. And everybody says, oh, I'm diversified. And usually they're not because they don't really understand what true diversification is. But we want to have a long-term portfolio that owns all the different asset classes. And so we're not trying to get in and out of the market. It simply means the portfolio I have is designed to take, you know, a certain drop in the market to a certain extent. And we also know how it's going to perform, what the rate of returns are. But long-term, we're not making these huge changes to the different investments. And I think the other thing is really to create multiple streams of income during retirement so you don't get into trouble. And when I say multiple streams of income, I don't mean to go out there and get a part-time job. I'm talking about you want to have some guaranteed income like your Social Security or maybe you have a pension or maybe an annuity from a guaranteed income stream. 
plus your investment account. So you want to have different buckets on when to pull money, when it makes the most sense. All helpful ideas and things to be thinking about. So don't forget, if you have any of these five pain points in your financial life, Carrie, what is there to do? If these things are bothering us, if I've raised my hand as I listen to the show today and, yeah, I'm, uh, taxes are keeping me up at night worrying about, you know, how my million-dollar portfolio really is only going to be, you know, 600000 or whatever that may be. Or, yeah, I, I've stuck my head in the sand when it comes to trying to prepare for long-term care because it just seems overwhelming and I don't really like talking about it. My spouse doesn't like thinking about it. It's been something that we've avoided. If these things are causing us pain, What's the remedy that you and your team at Qureshi Law Firm help provide? Well, we would always recommend them to call our office at 870-275-4304 and schedule a family wealth planning session with me. And the family wealth planning session, we normally charge a fee for that. But if you do what we call your homework, which is just a short questionnaire online so that we can get to know you better and we're prepared for your meeting, then there is no charge to sit down with me one-on-one and discuss these issues and see if we're a good fit and see if we can help. Absolutely. Again, 870-275-4304 is the number to call to set up that time to meet with Carrie and the team. If you've got questions about anything we've talked about so far on the podcast today, Carrie and her team serve you in Arkansas and in Texas. You can find us online at QureshiLaw.com. For the spelling of Qureshi, by the way, just look in the uh, description of today's show notes and you'll be able to see that there. QureshiLaw.com or call 870-275-4304. Thanks for breaking that topic down for us, Carrie. And uh, before we get to our listener questions, we're debuting a new set segment here on the podcast. It's called Getting to Know You. It's Getting to Know You time. So getting to know you each time here on the podcast will be the opportunity for us to just get to know Carrie a little bit away from you know, all the financial and legal and, you know, life planning stuff that we talk about here on the show and just get to know her a little bit better each time on the program. So quick question for you this week, Carrie, we're taking things back to elementary school when we all had this question in our minds at one point in time or asked our best friends and debated this one very heavily, very deep question. If you were an animal, what animal would you be? Oh my gosh. Okay. I love this. So for those listeners that know me, I'm probably going to shock them because I am not going to say a horse. <laughs> That's right. I grew, up yeah. showing, I grew up showing quarter horses. I love my horses dearly. And so a lot of people would just assume that that is a natural answer for me, but I wouldn't be a horse. I would probably be a Welsh Corgi. Do you know what oh, that is? So I, oh, you're going to learn something about me today. We have two corgis. Now they are oh my God. they are mixes, so they're not pure Welsh corgis, but they ha- are both half corgi. <laughs> okay. So no wonder that we get along together because exactly. you're a corgi person. Oh man, corgi people are the best. Yeah. So I would become my corgi because she has the best life. She's very spoiled. She has big dog attitude and a little dog's body. Yeah. I'd totally be a corgi. Uh, being a corgi would be pretty awesome. Is yours uh, mixed or is it just a standard straight up purebred corgi? Yeah, she's a Pembroke corgi. And I've had several corgis all my life. I've just loved them. They're super hard headed, but a great family dog, really smart. And if you haven't checked it out, 
since you're a corgi person, there's a Facebook page called Disapproving Corgis. And everybody posts pictures of their disapproving corgis and just the funniest videos and memes on there. So you'll have to check that out. That's fantastic. They are just a fun dog. That's for sure. Ours are, are mixed. We have one that's mixed with a Border Collie. And she's super smart, super calm, just the most pleasant dog you can possibly imagine. And she's got the, like kind of this corgi body, but with the beautiful hair of a border collie. And she's mm-hmm. extremely agile. And then the younger is a corgi mix with a husky. And so he's got the same big dog complex going on. And uh, he is very stout, but very muscular and fast. And so they're just fun to watch interact. He's a bit of a crazy maniac. And she's like this perfect, you know, perfect dog that never gets into any trouble. And he's a daily headache, but he's also very cute and lovable <laughs> too. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't see how the Corgi and the Border Collie, I don't see how you're saying that those are, that's a calm one. Because to me, those two mixes are the most hyper yeah. dogs. Yeah, she's the most chill dog you could ever imagine. So she's just always been such a trooper and very sweet and very relaxed. And he's the one that's the maniac. So it's pretty crazy. But he, he loves the snow whenever it does snow, man. He just He's just like, okay, now he's a husky, not a corgi, because he just won't come inside. He'll just stay in the snow all day long. I don't know how he does it. So there's so much yeah. fun. There's so much fun. I would be a bird just to throw that out there. I don't see how you could pass up the opportunity to fly. I just think that would be awesome to be able to fly. Okay. But being a dog and getting rubs and laying around all the time too doesn't sound bad either. So that's right. uh, pretty funny. Well, there you go. Getting to know Carrie a little bit better on Smart Simple Wealth. She'd be a corgi, just like her little one. All right, so uh, let's get to the mailbag here. we got some good questions from folks to answer back to the uh, estate planning and financial, legal, and life planning talk here. Our first question comes to us from Jane in Wynn, as we teased a little bit earlier. You can submit your questions, by the way, on CoratiLaw.com. Jane says, I'm currently single and have named my 12-year-old as the primary beneficiary to my life insurance policy. Is there any problem with this? Mm, Yes, there's a big problem because you don't want to name a minor as a beneficiary. And we actually had the situation come up with one of our clients a few years ago, but the insurance company won't pay out to a minor. So what they do, they'll get the money eventually, but the insurance company creates a trust for that child and they'll hold it in trust until they're 18. And before then, they can't get any money out. And then when they're 18, they get every penny. And so that's always a really bad idea. And people just don't realize not to do that. But you don't want to cause those problems and having that trust created for the life insurance company and the kid actually not getting the money. Yeah, here's a big lump sum at the age of 18. Have fun with that and see if good decisions get made. And then the other way around, I guess, is the idea that there can be, there are ways to help that child, that money can be helpful from 12 years old until 18 years old. So having it locked up isn't a great idea either. Is that kind of the two sides of that coin? Right, because, you know, they're not ready to go to college yet, but maybe if they're paying for private school or maybe if they had a healthcare emergency or just, you know, a standard of living, then they need that money. And so to have that tied up and held away into this insurance trust, just it isn't beneficial for the child. So as a way around that problem, would it be a good idea to, let's say, name an adult family member as a beneficiary and then just sort of attach strings to it and say the adult will, you know, use the money for the child. Oh, that's still a bad idea. And we still have clients that want to do it that way. You know, they'll say, I've talked to my brother and my brother knows that that money is really for the child and he's going to, you know, take care of the child for me. We have it all worked out. But first, 
that adult doesn't have a legal responsibility to use the life insurance proceeds for that child when you do that. So if they have a change of heart and want to go out and buy a new car or spend the money on themselves, you know, there's nobody to stop them. The other issue is even if, you know, they're going to use that money for the child, the life insurance proceeds are subject to that adult's creditors. So if they were ever involved in a lawsuit or had to file bankruptcy or something like that, your insurance money that was set aside for your child could be gone in an instant. And so both of those are really not ideal in passing on life insurance proceeds to a minor. Yeah, so uh, just trusting that things will get taken care of through that circuitous route sounds like maybe not the best plan. Let's let's instead trust but verify. What's the best idea to try and solve this problem that Jane has? Right. So the best idea is to have your will or your trust set up with something called a minor's trust. And this is simply where you would have a minor's trust set up for a child under a certain age. And you would name a trustee, and that maybe is, you know, a family member or a friend that's good with managing money, but that trustee would be legally responsible for managing the money for your child until they hit, you know, 21 or 25 or whatever you want to to make it. But now, because you've named that trustee, they have a fiduciary responsibility to use the money for your child. And yet those assets aren't their money. And so they wouldn't be subject to any of the trustees creditors. And so instead of naming the minor child on the life insurance policy as the beneficiary, you would instead go in and name trustee of, you know, child number one trust. And that's how you would spell it out on the beneficiary form. Okay. So it sounds like that is still giving some, there's still some trust and power being given to the adult in the situation, but there's much more legal strings attached to make sure that everything's working in the interest of the child and that the child ultimately, it's, it is their money. It's just they've got somebody helping to, I guess, make sure they don't make bad decisions with it. Is that sort of the idea of why you would set it up this way? Right, to make sure that they don't go out and buy a Ferrari or spend the money on spring break, that your trustee would say, you know, we're going to pay it for college, we're going to pay it to get an apartment, we're going to pay it for, you know, the basic living expenses, but we don't want you squandering it away. And now because you have a trustee named, the trustee is legally responsible for carrying out your wishes. And if they weren't doing a good job, they could be removed and replaced. And that's completely different than if you just named somebody as an adult and basically gave them the money and they promised to take care of your kid. Yeah, this is definitely a much better route to take on everybody's behalf because they're not necessarily indicating evil intentions here. But sometimes if you hand somebody a million dollars, you know, and say, hey, take care of my kid with this. Well, you can just start to see how a year or two later, maybe things start to get justified, right? Like, well, I'm doing all this, taking care of the kid, and we've had this happen to our family, and you know, certainly they'd want us to be helped out a little bit here too. And you just start getting things, the lines start to blur, maybe. Yeah, no, true story. It didn't happen to any of my clients, but one of the ladies that worked with me, there was a trustee or a legal guardian that had the children's money and they started doing home improvements on their house and they were trying to argue that that was in the benefit of the kid because the two kids had to come and live with them they needed to put in you know a hundred two hundred thousand dollars worth of home improvements for the benefit of the child and ultimately they lost their legal responsibilities and the children went elsewhere but that was a huge mismanagement of, of the money 
There you go. Perfect example. Great question, Jane. Thanks for sending that one in to us. Definitely a good question to ask. And as Carrie says, a very popular one too. A lot of clients have that desire, but maybe there are other better ways that we could be thinking about these things. One more question, and then we'll uh, wrap things up for the week here. Carrie Hector in Cabot has a question. Hector says, I'm torn between contributing to a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA. Can you simply tell me which is better? Well, that's like saying, do you like apples or oranges better? Because it really depends on your situation and what you think will happen with taxes in the future. Because, you know, traditionally, we've always been told it's better to defer taxes, right? Take the deduction up front with a traditional IRA, defer the taxes until as long as you can. But we also have the real threat of rising taxes in the future. And so you have that competing theory that it may be better to pay a little bit of tax now up front with the Roth IRA and then let that grow tax free and you take out your distributions tax free. And so right now, without knowing the details, I can't tell you which one is better, but you definitely want to look at that and have where you compare. And for most of our clients, we want different buckets. We want our tax later money. We want our tax now money and we want tax free. And so then you have the flexibility of figuring out which bucket do I want to pull money out at this point in time. All helpful information on today's show. Thank you, Hector, for asking that question about Roth IRAs and traditional IRAs. I know that there is just a big debate that happens between those two, and it just always is going to depend on your situation. And I guess what you think, Carrie, the future is going to hold, right? Right. And if you go back and you look at the analysis with what's happening with Social Security and the baby boomers that are retiring, you know, we're seeing more and more evidence that taxes will have to go up in the future. And so for many of our clients, we really are suggesting either contributing to a Roth or slowly taking and and converting your traditional IRAs over to a Roth. Very cool. Well, if you want to learn more about integrating your financial, legal, and life planning and the magic that happens when you make sure that all of those things are working together and for the same mission and feeding off of one another, uh, there's a great opportunity to get your Family Wealth Protection Toolkit. This is something, Carrie, that you've put together to kind of help people begin that process of planning for their financial, legal, and you know life future, right? Right. I mean, the Family Wealth Protection Toolkit is this awesome box that we ship to your house that's going to include just a wealth of information about, you know, the legal and estate planning strategies, our wealth planning and our tax strategies, everything that they would need to really become more educated before that they would, you know, want to come in and either make an appointment or maybe come to one of our upcoming workshops. So that's really the first step. If you're interested in learning more, but not really ready to come in and make that appointment, then they could request that toolkit. If you want to get that toolkit, all you have to do is go to CureshiLaw.com, call 870-275-4304. That's 870-275-4304. Get your free Family Wealth Protection Toolkit. There's a couple of books, an audio CD, several great reports on financial, legal, and life planning inside of there. And we'll also put a link to where you can get this toolkit absolutely free in the description of today's episode. So whatever podcast app you're using, or if you're listening on the website, you should be able to see that link right there on uh, today's post, today's podcast. You'll see the link to where you can get that Family Wealth Protection Toolkit. It takes a couple of seconds, and uh, you can order that toolkit absolutely free. 
pretty cool to be able to do that. Carrie, thank you so much for the help on today's show. Learned a ton of stuff today and uh, enjoyed walking through all this with you. And we'll uh, have a great topic on tap for next time. Yep. Thanks for your time, Walter. That's Carrie Qureshi. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time on Smart Simple Wealth. Did you know you can subscribe to the Smart Simple Wealth Podcast with your favorite app? It's on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and dozens of other places where you listen to podcasts. And if it's not on an app you'd like to use, let us know and we'll get it on there. To make sure you never miss an episode, just search Smart Simple Wealth on your favorite podcasting platform today and subscribe. Investment advisory services offered through Pegasus Wealth Coaching, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Legal services provided by Qureshi Law Firm, PLLC. The Qureshi Law Firm and Pegasus Wealth Coaching are not affiliated in any way. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and are not intended as investment or legal advice. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Consult your financial professional before making any investment decision. Information provided does not create an attorney-client relationship and cannot substitute for obtaining legal advice from an attorney admitted to practice law in your state.